0: All right, Shabu, say Good morning, let us let us begin Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors, Shmueli and Lee for dedicating all the Shur Madrushas this month in memory of Shmueli's father, Harav Peres, Avram, Ben Yom Moshe, Zichon and We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Nesham will have an Aliyah and the family in Chama To thank our Week of Learning sponsors, Ira and Miriam Grossman, for dedicating all of the Shi'urim and Joroshos this week in memory of Miriam's father, Aryeh ben Moshe, we hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshamel HaVen Aliyah, and the family in Necham. Well, so with that, let us begin. We have a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Kuf Chaf 120. We are picking up on Kuf Yotes on the base 119b at the Mishnah, the last Mishnah on the page 2. 4, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16 lines up from the bottom. So a very interesting case here. Shtei You have two sisters-in-law. Now again, the case over here is Rachel and Leah, not related to each other, married to two brothers, Ruven and Shimon. Okay, that's the case. Zu Omeris mes Bali. The Zu Omeris mes Bali. It's a very interesting case. Rachel comes to the basin. She says, my husband died. Leah comes to Bezin. My husband died. So, we'll say, so again, remember, independently, what's the and when Rachel comes to Bezin and says, "My husband died," and Leah makes the same claim? What's what's tahlokho? They're believed, right? They're believed. See, here's what's interesting about this case. So, we'll say, so remember again, we are presupposing over here. So Rachel's married to Reuven. Leah is married to Shimon. Neither of them have children. Neither husband had children. So now Rachel comes to Bezin and she says, my husband died, that's fine, we believe her. But now what's the problem? Rachel is subject to Ebom, right? To Shimon. Now Leah is coming to Bezin and saying, my husband died, Shimon died. That frees her from, I mean, she's, no, she's believed. But now she's subject to Ebom, to Reuven. What's fascinating about this case, Mishnah Bose is, each woman is believed regarding her own husband, but yet, again, their testimony does not count to free the other one from Yibom. So therefore, again, as much as Rachel is believed that her husband is dead, so Leah's testimony regarding her husband, Shimon, does not help Rachel regarding Yibom. This goes back to the idea that, remember, Yevamos in general, sisters-in-law, are not believed to testify regarding, again, the death of the other one's husband. So, therefore, the testimony of Rachel's husband does not help Leah regarding Gibom, and vice versa. Fascinating case. Fascinating case. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, So, for example, Rachel is not permitted to marry into the general population. Ultimately, again, because of the obligation that she now has in Yibom to Shimon. <speaking in Hebrew> now even though you'll see this in one second, is going to be subject to Yibom to Shimon. I, Shimon's wife, Leah, is testifying that he is dead. <speaking in Hebrew> Remember again, Leah's testimony regarding her husband is not enough to allow Rachel to marry into the general population. Because ultimately, again, a sister in law cannot go ahead and testify on behalf of her sister in law. Ultimately, because remember again, because a sister in law is one of the five women who is not permitted to testify. Fascinating case. Let's go weiter. They will say this is fascinating. Let's say, Rachel brings witnesses to back up her claim. So Rachel comes to Bezin, she says, my husband is dead, but she brings witnesses to go ahead and back up that claim that her husband is dead. Right? But let's say Leah doesn't have witnesses. Right? So watch this. <speaking in Hebrew> so we'll say, this is fascinating. So Rachel comes to Bezin, she says, my husband is dead, and she brings witnesses. So, we'll say, so now, Rachel is permitted to go ahead and remarry based on her testimony. Wow, she's, I take that back. Rachel, right, is believed regarding her husband, but yet, again, not permitted to remarry. Why? Yibum. But here's what's fascinating. The fact that Rachel brought witnesses, who does that help? That helps Leah. That helps Leah. Because now Leah comes to base, and Leah testifies my husband is dead. So regarding her husband, she's believed. She's also no longer subject to yibum, why not? Because Rachel brought witnesses that Ruvain the Yavam is dead. So therefore again Rachel's witnesses Rachel's witnesses help Leah. Help Leah because now again independent of Rachel's testimony we now have objective testimony that Ruvain Leah's Yavam is dead and therefore she is permitted to go and remarry. Fascinating. What happens ultimately again if let's say Rachel has children and Leah doesn't have children so, I'm So to say, so now, Rachel, who has kids, obviously, again, she's permitted to marry, to remarry. Why? Because remember, again, she's believed to say that her husband is dead. The presence of children ultimately precludes any need for yibum, so she's permitted to remarry. But of course, Leah, now we go back to case number one, Leah won't be permitted to remarry. Why? Because as much as Leah is believed to say that what? Her husband Shimon is dead. L'maysa, again, she is still subject to Yibam. Yabmu umaysa yabmin. Another interesting case. So we'll say, let's say, let's play this out. Let's play this out. So let's say, yeah, once again, you have Rachel and Leah. Rachel's married to Rulain. is married to Shimon. So now what happens? So now what happens? Each wife is coming to base and saying that her husband, her husband died. So what's the halacha? The halacha is that they're believed but still subject to Yibam. Let's say there's two more brothers, Levi and Yehuda. Good. So now what happens? Levi does yibum with Rachel, and Yehuda does yibum with Leah. Okay, that's by the way, totally permitted. Now Levi and Yehuda die. Levi and Yehuda die without children. So now, both say, so now, what's what's Rachel and Leah's status now after having done yibum with Levi and Yehuda, but still no children?" Asuros Lehi nase. So we'll say Tanakama says they're not permitted to get remarried. Now, why are they not permitted to get remarried? Because effectively, effectively, they are back, right back in the same situation as they were before, as they were, as they were prior to Yibum. Because now, after Levi and Yehuda die, Rachel and Leah are both still stuck because what's the status of their other respective Yavna? In other words, they're both like, let me just play this out for just a second. Rachel's married to Ruben. Leah's married to Shimon. Rachel comes to Bezdin. My husband died. Leah comes to Basin, my husband died. What's Talacha? What's Lacha? They're both believed regarding their respective husbands. Can they remarry into the general pool? No, why? Yibom. Okay, so now in this last case, it's fine because there's two more brothers, Levi and Yehuda. So Rachel does yibum with Levi, Leah does yibum with Yehuda, fine. Now, Levi and Yehuda die without children. So now the shaila is what's the status of Rachel and Leah? So the Tanakhama says we're right back where we were before they did Yibum. Why? Because now they're subject to Yibum again. Subject to Yibum again. And the boys say, who don't we know? Who's still? Whose whereabouts are still unknown, so to speak? Sh- Ruvain and Shimon. Otherwise, right? So Leah still has to worry about Ruvain. Rachel still has to worry about Shimon. So ultimately, again, we're right back where we were, and ultimately they're not permitted to marry into the general pool. Revelazah says no. Revelazah says no. Once they do Yibum, once they do Yibum, ultimately again with Levi and Yehuda, essentially what we do is we close out the Ruvein and Shimon chapter of this. Once they become permitted to their Yavmin ultimately again, the earlier part of the story is closed. Fine. So the Gemara, look at Rashi. So Osebelazer so essentially says it doesn't make sense. Once we're allowing them to go ahead and marry the the, the Levi and Yehuda, by definition, what that does is say we accept the testimony that the husbands are dead. The chapter is closed when Levi and Yehuda die without children. Again, assuming there are no other surviving brothers that we know about, they're permitted to marry to the general pool. A fascinating Mishnah. So the Gemara just adds another case. Let's say Rachel. Rachel has Edim and sons. So we'll say what's that case? So Rachel comes to base and she says, My husband died. But she also brings Edim to support that. And not only that. Rachel has kids, Rachel has kids. So I will say, so, now, but Leah doesn't have Edim and doesn't have kids. What's that, Rachel? They're both mutaros. I will say, why is that? Rachel is mutaros, why? Number one, she has Edim, right? She does not need Edim, but she has Edim, right? She has her own testimony and she has kids. So she's, so she's let's say, her husband died, no, no din of Yibom. Now remember, again, I will say, based on this, Leah's also good to go. Why is Leah good to go? Because Lamai said she's believed to testify about the death of her husband. And remember again, Rachel's witnesses are helpful to her to ascertain that her Yavam Ruben, is dead. So this would be a situation where both women would be permitted to marry into the general pool. Incredible. <coughs> so we'll say, what happens if Lamai say again? So it was his last case in Mishnah. Let's say again, Rachel and Leah come to Bezdin, ultimately testify that their husbands died, they are believed. In this case, there's two more surviving brothers, Levi and Yehuda. Rachel does Yibam with Levi, Leah does Yibam with Leah, and now, sorry, Leah does Yibam with Yehuda, and now what happens? And now what happens? Levi and Yehuda die. So what's Talachah? Huh? Asu and Li'inah saying, Tanakama says, they revert back to their previous status, since again, Rachel doesn't know what happened to her yavam Shimon. Leah doesn't know what happened to her yavam Ruven. Therefore, they are Asura. Rabbi Lazarus says, no. Ultimately, again, once they became permitted to do Yibum, essentially what Rabbi was saying, we close out the previous narrative. So, let's analyze this. My time with Rabbi Elozer. What's Rabbi Elazar's logic? Or is, why, why is that? What does Rabbi Lazarus say? That once Rachel does Yibum with Levi and Leah does Yibum with Yehuda. Right, we kind of we close out the previous Reuven Shimon chapter. What's the reason for that? So the Gemara says, Mishum Is it because he holds that maybe a sister-in-law can testify on behalf of her fellow sister-in-law? Sarah, right? The potential right that 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 is permitted. Or I should say even a co wife, right? But in this case, Rashi says over here the So is it, he, is it that he holds that be, that really Rachel and Leah have the ability to test on behalf of each other? nafsha. Or maybe it's because no, at the end of the day, I was saying when Rachel testifies that her husband Reuven is dead, you see, we believe her. And we don't believe that she would testify falsely just to mess over Leah. We don't believe that. To which the of my Naftum, you know, kind of sounds like he's saying the same thing. What's the practical reason in those two approaches? We'll I we'll say here's nafkamina. This is fascinating. Do we allow the co wife to get married? I'll call it the sister in law to get married before the woman who's actually giving the testimony. If we say that a sister-in-law could give testimony on behalf of her fellow sister-in-law, even though the one going ahead and giving the testimony has not yet remarried, will allow the other sister-in-law to get married. However, but if we say the reason we believe her is because usually when a woman gives testimony, she's not going to mess herself over. Therefore, if that's the case, inciv min sabina ilo lo min So we'll say, in that case over here, then the test case will be, will the woman herself get remarried? If the woman herself gets remarried based on her testimony, then we take it as truth. But if she's not getting remarried based on her testimony, we're a bit suspicious to accept it. So my, what's the halacha? So let's analyze. So tashma, Rebbe Lazar, Lazar said in the Mishnah, once Rachel and Leah do evil with Levi and Yehuda, ultimately again, and Levi and Yehuda die, they're now permitted to marry into the general pool. See, so here we go. If you say at the end of the day, she's not going to want to mess herself over, insiv min then I will say, makes sense. Once she marries, we could allow the sister-in-law to marry. But if it's because we allow one Sarah to go ahead and testify on behalf of her fellow Nami, then even if she did not first marry, we would still believe her testimony. Rather, I will say, Masir holds that that ultimately, again, once a, a woman, as, as much as there may be a natural, a natural animosity between sisters in law, halacha lamaysa, a woman, is not going to mess herself over in order to go ahead and mess over her sister in law. Therefore, halacha lamaysa, if she marries first, that is enough to accept her testimony. Rabbalaz, to which the Gemara says, Rabbalazer ledivreim ka'amra lehu. Esa's also the is addressing himself to the Rabbana, to the Tzana Kamo, And he'll say the following, Lididi, According to me, I believe that one Sara has the ability to testify on behalf of her fellow Tsara, gav min sabinallah. And even if, Ha'loch even if, she did not first remarry, we would allow the other sister-in-law to marry. Ela Odu la, says at least admit to me, that halacha if the first sister-in-law married, based on her own testimony, you should have certainly allowed the second sister-in-law to do so. And ultimately, Rabbanon, nafshi in plishti Bose, this is the phrase we had yesterday. nafshi in plishti, means what? That sometimes people will do things that hurt themselves, Sorry if it gives them the ability to hurt others. So therefore, the Rabbanon will say, even if you see her marry first, that may not, go out, that may not necessarily allow us to rely on her testimony. Incredible. Incredible. So I will say, so, so good. So that's the end. Of that so the Gemara goes weiter. So we'll say, so just before we go on, how do we paskin in that case? The Ramban paskin, as I the like the Rabbanon. <laughs> Namely, that when Rachel and Leah, right, so Rachel's testifying about the death of her husband, Leah's testifying about the death of her husband. So what we establish from the Mishnah is that halacha la each woman's testimony is believed to allow them each to remarry. But remember, each woman's testimony does not help to alleviate the yippum obligation of the other. In the last case in Mishnah, where there are other surviving brothers... So in addition to Reuben and Shimon, there's also Levi and Yehuda. So Rachel does Yibom with Levi, and Leah does Yibom with Yehuda. That's permitted. If Levi and Yehuda now die without children, the Rambam Paskins, we're right back where we were. We're right back where we were. And therefore, you're going to both say, since so meaning right back where it means what? That Allah saw Leah, Rachel still does not know what the status of Shimon is. And Leah does not know what the status of Ruve is. And that unknown status will prevent them from marrying into the general population. So we passing like the Rabbanon. Fascinating. So Tashmah, yeah. So an interesting case. A woman goes overseas, right, with her husband, and she comes back and she says, My husband died. My husband died. Okay. So what's the Tina say, V'titil Ksuva, so, Vitsara sa'asura. Shabbos, say, so, remember, Rachel goes overseas with her husband, Ruvein Now, by the other part of the story, there's another wife, right? The other wife, the other wife, Leah. Right, so what happens? So, Rachel comes back. She says, my husband died overseas. She's believed, and she gets her k'suva. Now, her co-wife, Tzara sa'asura, right, her co-wife, ultimately, Rachel remains asura. Sorry, Leah remains asura. So again, we've seen that halacha before, because remember, the testimony of one wife does not help her co-wife; does not help her co-wife. So, even though we are going to allow Rachel to go ahead and remarry, ultimately, again, Leah can't. I will say that remember that we saw this already. That's because co-wives are one of the five women who are not believed to give testimony regarding each other. So, Rabbi Lazarus says, no, hoil v'hotrahi. Chutra na mitzarasa, Abul says no. Once Rachel is believed for herself, then what? She's obviously believed for her co-wife as well. So the Gemara says, "Havahotra." I'm sorry, "Havahotra." He chutra na mitzarasa. I ima hovel vahotra venises. Right? So the Gemara says, "Why don't we say over here? Why don't we say over here that maybe the halacha should be that when do we believe Rachel? When do we believe Rachel if Rachel herself gets remarried. be married?" If, so in other words, I so will say, there's interesting giving testimony and acting on that testimony. So if Rachel comes back and says, what, my husband is dead, and she gets remarried, perhaps that's when we should believe her regarding Leah, to which the begita asoi, hachi lekalkala mechavna. So I will say, listen to this, Why should, perhaps you should also be concerned Perhaps we should also be concerned. So, so the Gemara therefore says, I'm Sorry, the Gemara says, "Ema ha'oil v'hutra v'niseis." <laughs> so ultimately, again, the Gemara says, Tilma Listen to this. Why, are, why? Why are we concerned that maybe Rachel actually got a get from Ruve? Or as well, so when they went overseas. Rachel actually got a get, so she's divorced. So if Rachel is divorced, why is Rachel coming back and saying that Reuven is dead? Why? Because she wants to give a shtach to Leah. She wants Leah to think that Leah is a widow. Leah is going to get remarried. And ultimately again, she's, going to, she's going to give a good shtach to Leah. To which the Gemara says, eat the de- Yisrael I'll say, if Rachel would have remarried a Yisrael, then I would believe that. That would be a good claim. What's the case? what's the case? The insivli Kohen. I say, the case over here in question is where Rachel comes back. Well, say, so here's the case. Rachel comes back. Rachel comes back. Rachel says, my husband died overseas. So what's that, Rachel? So she, she, she can get remarried and she collects her k'suba. Now the case, the Gemara says, she did get remarried. I a, who did she marry? Who did she marry? A Koe. Then I will say, if she was just trying to kind of give a shtach to Leah, then what? If she would have married a Yisrael, I would have heard that. But ultimately, if she's a divorcee, she would not have gone ahead and married a Kohen if she knew that was illegal for herself to do so, just to give it to Leah. The fact that she went ahead and she married a Kohen indicates to us, really, 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 really concretizes or solidifies the truthfulness of her claim. And therefore, we believe her to say that her husband died overseas. And we'll say, I'll just mention that a lot of this discussion centers on, centers on, do we, we let's call it this. Believe, do we believe that people lie? Do we believe that people lie? Yeah. Absolutely. Right? All the time. Right? All people all the time. Well, not all people all the time. Right? But most of the people all the time. Or at least some people all of the time. Or at least some people some of the time. Right? People lie. I let's say, here's the interesting question about human nature. Will people lie to the point that they would actually disadvantage themselves, put themselves at a disadvantage? That's really the fundamental question. What we call in halacha, Thomas Nafshi Im right? Would people go ahead and lie, and not only lie, by the way, but act on that lie to their own disadvantage if it also allows them to <coughs> compromise someone else? That's the theme that you see going on here, further and further. So I will say. So, for example, that's why what we're saying over here is, halakha lamaysa, halakha lamaysa, will we say that if a woman gives testimony, remarries based on her own testimony, that we should allow, therefore, that testimony to work for her co-wife as well? So, I'll we'll say, what does that depend on? Do we say, tamos nafshi and Maybe Rachel is so bent on going ahead and doing something bad to lay off, that not only will she lie, but she'll act on her own lie just in order to go ahead and get Leah to commit a wrong. So we will say, it's fascinating, so much of this sukya boils down to that nekuda and human nature. We know that people will lie, that we know, but will people act to their own detriment in order to hurt others? That's the fundamental machlok. It's good. And we'll say, now we're transitioning a little bit. We're transitioning. So we'll say, up until now, we spent a lot of time, a significant amount of time. The truth is, the beginning of this parak, and almost all of the last parak, focusing on women or others giving testimony about the death of someone else. Now we'll say, now we're transitioning. This is a fascinating sugya, transitioning to the following, identifying what do you need in order to identify that someone has died. So the Gemara says as follows. Ein ela so, say, so now, let's talk about identifying a person who's died. Say, the al is that for halachic purposes, the only thing that serves as identification for a person who has died is facial recognition. Facial recognition. And what do you need for facial recognition? Ein ela say, you need the face together with the nose. So in order to identify a person who has died, we need an intact face with a nose. <inaudible> we will say this is so even if there are other identifying marks on the person's body, right? Or for that matter, on his clothing or on his utensils. Say, let's say Ruvain has a birthmark, right? On his uh, right elbow. That is not enough, says the Mishnah. In order to be able to identify a person, to be able, again, will say, this is why are we identifying him. Why are we identifying him? Right? Because we want to know that he indeed is the dead person in front of us. Again, to permit his wife to remarry and everything else. The Mishnah says, identification takes place with facial recognition. And facial recognition, I will say, is the face with the nose. Not only that, you can only testify about a person who's really dead. Uh, only once what? He's really dead. In other words, say, what does that mean? it's we'll say Even if you saw a person, maguyad means like cut, right? Cut up. Right? In other words, you saw a person with a mortal injury, a mortal injury, or salov. We'll say salov, it's actually interesting. Salov, we translate salov as hanged, right? A person is hanged. Salov could also mean crucified. In other words, you see, and I will say, a person is hanging on the gallows. That That's, that's a pretty good indication that he said no no no. It's not just a shot that you saw him that you saw him hang, but actually again, you have to see him dead. Right? The Chaya o Khalazba, a person attacked by a wild animal. Esau says, so again, halok alamaiza, the is saying is you might have thought you see a person being attacked by a wild animal, and what do you say to yourself? What do you say to yourself? There's no way he survived that. Or you see a person, ha-sholom stabbed by a sword. No way he survived that. You see him on the gallows, and they kick out the bench from under him. No way that he survived that. The Mishnah says we saw this already before. Circumstantial evidence is not enough. You have to see him dead in order to testify. So the in the Eden you're only we're only allowed to testify about the death of a person up to three days. The Rabbah said, well, now what, what does this mean?" This is the assumption that after three days, the body becomes disfigured. So the point again, because of decay, because of bloating, so ultimately again, after three days, even facial recognition apparently is not going to work. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says no, Rabbi Huda says the truth is this halacha is really dependent, each case is different. He said, what is it going to depend on? Where did you find the body? How did you define the body? What's the temperature in the area that you found the body? Dry land versus water. There's so many different circumstances over here. So Halakha Lama Isiqin who says, you can't make a blanket Halakha in this scenario. So we'll say, let's analyze this Halakha. So we'll say, the first Halakha that we're gonna focus on is, the Mishnah said, facial recognition, right? The only way to identify a person, ultimately again, is through facial recognition. And what's facial recognition? the face and the face the face and the nose Ten padakhas <laughs> Padachas v'lo parts of panim parts of panavala padakhas in the ideal of achushnayem imachotem. so the bright adds in one more thing what's facial recognition forehead nose face forehead nose face if you I was, I'm, I'm really it the mrs the is calling it two things but we're going to just break it down into three things so forehead nose face that is what is required for facial recognition if you're missing any part of that, then halacha l'maysa, that is not enough to identify the body. Amr Rabbi Yitim Rav micro, what's the passage that supports this? Hakaras Pnei'em on sabam. Shabbat the Gemara quotes the passage, quotes the passage from Yeshaya, which literally, Hakaras recognition of their face testified against them. So therefore again, the is using this facial recognition is what is need to ascertain something in halacha. So the Gemara says as well as Abba Bar Marta, the Hava Abba Bar Minyumi, Hava Maski Be Lusa. So the Gemara tells an interesting story here, uh, right? Abba Bar Merta, who is also Abba Minyumi, borrowed money from the Rish He owed them money. So I'll say what happens? So he wanted to avoid his creditors. So what did he do? I see Kira, Davak Pibavlisa, Davak Be'afusya. So I'll say what did he do? He took a little bit of wax, attached it to a Shemata, I put the shlata on his forehead. <laughs> so, we'll say what happened? And he passed right in front of them, and he, they did not recognize him. What's the point of the story? The point of the story is what makes your facial recognition is your forehead, your nose, and your face. So he covered his forehead. Once he covered his forehead, apparently what? They did not go ahead and recognize him. Okay, good. To which the Gemara says, Now, the interesting part of this Mishnah is the Mishnah says, in order to identify that a person has truly died, you need facial recognition. Even if the person has other simanos. C-. Like I said, Ruvain has Ruvain has a birthmark on his right elbow. So that is not enough. That is not enough. It needs facial recognition. So says Gemara, the Memra to Simanim I guess this means. I guess this means that in general, Simonim, right, having a defining sign is not enough. Da'araisa. In other words, we'll both say that again. A simmon doesn't work. Da'araisa. If because again, if a simmon worked Da'araisa, then what? Then what? Then Alachal Whatever simmon had, whatever Reuven had. Right? Remember again. By the way, it could be a simon on his body or Simin on his clothing. Ruvain, Ruvain went missing wearing a blue suit with a purple lining. Now I say you find the body with a blue suit and a purple lining. Or, Ruvain had a birthmark on his right elbow. If you held that simanim or da'araisa, then this should be enough to identify Ruvain. The fact that the Mishnah says that the only thing that works to identify Ruvain is facial recognition tells us that what? Simonim don't work midoraisa. Or many, I'll ask a question, Matzu kasher b'kaisu ba'arnaki b'tabas, o'shenimsah ben kelov a'fidluzma m'ru ba'kashur. I will say, the more, an interesting question. A get, a get case. I will say, here's the case. Look at Rashi. Matzu kasher ha'mevi get li'isha v'abarimeno. So I will say, here's the case. The case is where, let's say again, Ruvain is delivering a get on behalf of Shimon. Ruvain is delivering a get. Ruvain lost the get. Right? Good. Ruvain lost the get right now what happens sometime later sometimes later Reuven finds the get where does he find it, it actually says ben kalov ben klei beso umakyesakis <laughs> i say he goes ahead and he finds the get between his utensils utensils he knows that are his or ultimately again i say he finds the get with his signet ring So in other words he finds the get with the simen, with the simen that it, that it was with his property the entire time. What's the halacha? The halacha is even if he didn't find it for a long time, the get is kasha. You both say, what do you see from here? What do you see from here? That simanim do work, isa. To which the universe is Amr Ba'ilokasha. Harab elazar ben maavai harab anon. Timach two different opinions. This sanya ain't meidin You say, listen to this. If a man has a mole, Shuma's a mole. Let's see if you find the body, right? You find the body. We think it's Reuven's. Reuven's wife tells us he had a mole on his right cheek. On his right cheek. So the Gemara says, "Ein Shuma. Presence of a mole is not enough of an identifying feature. Rabbi ben Ma'avai, "Omer meidin." Rabbi says, "No, it works. It works." My love, What are they arguing about? One opinion holds that work even the and the other opinion says no, they don't. To which the immerse mm-hmm. says no. Of the kuli Siman Natural, say, first of the wide lines. Rava says, everyone agrees that Siman are I'll say, by the way, that's, and, and that's true in so many areas of halacha, right? You lose your wallet, you lose your wallet, I find the wallet. Right. Let's assume for a moment again, it's, it doesn't have your license in it, right, <laughs> or your credit cards in it. So all it is is a wallet with cash. So right, you give me a siman. Right, it's a brown leather wallet and it has a scratch on the inside cover. Okay, I give you back your wallet. Generally, again, or the get case, simanim work RAISO. So Rabbeinu say, simanim work midoraisa. Then why isn't it enough when Ruben's wife said he had a mole on his right cheek? Why? Why isn't that enough? To which the want to something very interesting, hacha b'shuma ben ben gilo The I say, here's what's interesting. What's interesting is when we deal with simanim that could be more common. In other words, the say, so for, it literally means simanim for people for the same age. Ben gilo Rashi says, shenolo mazal So the say, so the question is, could people of the same age have the same simanim? The so Rebbe you could even leave out the age over here. The question is about certain physical marks they can go ahead and be common amongst people. So I will say, listen to this. So I will say, So we'll say, one says, a mole is a common mark. Right? A mole is a common thing. So that, especially amongst people around the same age. So therefore, again, if Reuven went ahead and had a mole, who's, we'll we'll go with the approach now that everyone agrees, Simanim Dor Everyone agrees. They will say, what's the shaila? The shaila just is whether or not a shuma is enough of a simmon. The others say, oh. they both say here's the other issue. The other issue is do we have to be concerned that a simmon changes in appearance after death? After death. Listen to this. One opinion holds that Allah ultimately again, a shuma could change. A shuma could change even after death, right? The other opinion holds that no shuma does not change its appearance after death. Everyone holds siman Bahakha Bishuma Amadez Simon Mufha Araba said it's very interesting. So us, we'll say here's what's fascinating. Let's so we we'll say first approach was everyone agrees that Simonima Daraisa. So what's the mahlokes? The mahlokis is is a mole, is a mole enough of a defining simmon. Or for that matter, do we have to be concerned that a mole maybe changes its appearance after death? They will say, now an alternate version. The alternate version is, no, simonim ad-rabanam. Simonim ad So that's the machlok, yes. The machlokis we say, here is, whether or not, v'haqa b'shuma simen mufak ha We'll say, first line, chaf-chaf, chaf, kuf-chaf ha-mudez. We'll say, the machlokis over here is, is ultimately, again, the presence of a mole, a Simon mufak. Ultimately, again, is it considered to be, is it considered to be a simen mufak? So the Gemara says, "I will say, look at Rashi. So, now we'll say, now what's a simen mufak? A simon mufak means like an undisputable simmon. Undisputable simmon. Then I will say, here's what's fascinating. The Gemara is suggesting, even if you hold that simonim art dirabanon, if something is a simen mufak, it'll absolutely work. Take a look at Rashi. The so, afagav, let's do this. Even if you normally hold that simanim are drabanan, if something is called a simen mufak, ultimately again one can absolutely rely on it. Pretty amazing. So mar sabbar, simon mufak, umar sabar, lav simen mufak, one will hold that a shuma is a simen mufak, and one will hold that it's not a simen mufak. So so really fascinating. So first of all, we have so much stuff going on over here. A fundamental macro, yes? Are simanim darais are simanim draban? Right? Which is like, which is, which is a mind-blowing machlokas. Then Rebbe the other question becomes, in the world of simanim, what's considered to be a reliable simon or not? And specifically for our case, the shuma, the mole, right? Is the mole considered to be a siman mufak or not? That's the fundamental shaila. To which the Gemara says, U lishna da'amara Amarava simon in da'araisa. Bosei, let's <laughs> go ahead for just a moment. That's which we said before, that simanim are raisa. So we we'll say, so remember again, we said before, so let, let's analyze it just a moment. So we we'll say, what did our Mishnah say? What type of Simonim do you need in order to be able to identify a corpse? What do you need? Facial recognition. Now we've established what's facial recognition? Forehead, face, nose. Okay, so let's analyze it just a moment. And the Mishnah explicitly said, even if there are other Simonim on the body, or on the clothing of the corpse, that does not work. So Himar says, "I don't understand that." According to Rava, according to the version that we had before, that Rava said that simanim are daraisa. Then ultimately, again, the Mishnah said so, said, "So then, why wouldn't it work if there are simanim in the body or in his clothing, right? Why wouldn't that work in simanim daraisa?" To which the Gemara says, "I'll tell you." Gufo da'arech vagutz. Because I will say, ultimately, again, simonim and body, the body that come out of Mishnah, is, let's say, again, Reuven was tall or short, and you find the corpse that was tall or short. So I will say, tall or short is not a simon. It's not a simon. As I will say, remember, remember, in the world of simonim, a simon has to be something that what? Has some element of uniqueness. So being tall or short is not a simon. Right? Ke'lov, de'chayshina v'sha'elah furthermore, why would the Mishnah say that finding that finding that clothing is not a good simon? Why not? Because when it comes to clothing, you could always you could, you always have a possibility that what? That maybe they that maybe he borrowed clothing. Right? Maybe the clothing that he has ultimately again is not his clothing. So let's listen to this. But here's the problem. If you're Hoshish that people borrow stuff, they will say, I'll give you an interesting case. I lose my donkey. I lose my donkey. One of the ways that you could identify your donkey is how? By identifying the saddle on the donkey. Well, just because I identify the saddle, maybe I went ahead and lent my saddle to someone else. So how could a saddle be an identifying simon? To which someone has to know everyone knows. Lo in Insha'okfa. Everyone knows. You never lend out your saddle. Why? They must give lebechamra. We will say apparently. Apparently, when it came to your donkey, a saddle was like a custom thing, right? Because if it wasn't specifically fitted to that donkey, it would scratch. It would it would cut the donkey. So therefore, again, everyone knows that if you identify the saddle, that's a good symbol that it's your donkey. So we'll say, let's go back for a second. The get case. We will say, what was the get case? Reuben was the shaliach to go ahead and deliver the get on behalf of Shimon. I will say Reuben loses the get. He finds the get later on. Let's say, I will say what? Between his utensils, or together with his wallet, or with his signet ring. So, what did we say? Reuben is believed to say, Ah, that's the get I lost. And he's believed, Boy, oh, how could that be? I will say again, Why aren't we concerned that? Maybe he lent out these items and therefore the get that he found is not the get that he lost. I'll tell you why. Tabas Khailich Yufi. They will say people don't lend out their signet rings. Why not? Because they're concerned about forgeries. Right? Arneki. they will say people don't lend out their wallet. In Baltimore City, people lend out their wallet all the time, by the way. So the Gemara says as follows, right? So people borrow wallets all the time. So the Gemara says, the Arneki. they will say, what about anarchy? What about a wallet? So, menachashi in shivala moshli. This it is interesting. People were superstitious about lending out wallets. Let's say why? Because your wallet represents your wealth. So, apparently, people were superstitious and they don't lend out their wallets because it looks like you're giving over your wealth to someone. Divai, so, the other possibility is. Or, I will say the other possibility is. That ultimately, again, we're talking about, so again, so we'll say, so therefore, again, that's why in the get case, in the get case, when you find the get that you lost with your signet ring or with your wallet, I will say those are things that people don't lend out. So therefore, if you found, if you find the lost get with those items, if you're the sharia you could assume that the get you found is what? The get that you lost. I will say the other possibility is when the Mishnah says that you cannot go ahead and use the corpse's clothing or his kalim ultimately as a simmon, that's talking about a case where you're identifying the simmon by what by the kalim. by what? Their color. I will say, so identifying by color is never a good simmon. So I will say, I just want to point out this is really a fascinating sugya. So first again, I will say two two major machloksim. Number one. Are simanim da'raisa or da'rai or The ability to go to come with a simile, with a defining sign. Does that work da'raisa or I will say, how do we pass in? We pass in simanim work da'raisa. Simanim work da'raisa. And I will say, it's interesting over here that the way the Gimara Simile is setting up. I will say, the next mach locus is what's considered to be a defining sign. So that's, that's a whole mach locus. And especially when it comes to a corpse, again, I will say, do we have to be concerned that certain simonim, go ahead and change after death as well, is a mole, a simon mufak, not a simen mufak? That's why our Mishnah says, the one simon that will always work is facial recognition. Facial recognition as defined by the, the forehead, the face, the nose, that is an inc- uncontestable simmon and will go ahead and work to, to, to ascertain or to solidify the identity of the deceased other siman, I will say, have to really be dealt with on a case-by-case basis. Clothing, clothing sometimes can work, sometimes doesn't work. Birthmarks sometimes can work, sometimes doesn't work. I will say, of course, you know, contemporarily, DNA, DNA, of course, works, right? I will say that's why, again, sometimes like, of the sun, you have situations where you can't identify a body by anything other than DNA, dental records, Right? those things which are clearly unique to the individual will absolutely help to ascertain, ascertain identity. Amazing. So, the next part of the Mishnah said, even if you see a guy in a in a clearly like, we'll call it um, um, what's the right word, imminent death situation, you cannot testify about his death unless what you actually saw him dead. So the Gemara says, as far as the memra, de so say one of the examples was you saw a guy maguyad cut. So I'll say, let's say you see someone, you see someone pierced with a sword, pierced with a sword, and again it's a titan, not, not in his leg, Shomer, through his heart, through his, you, you see, you see clearly, it's it's a mortal, it's, it's a mortal wound. So I'll say, so again, it's now, the Mishnah still says you can't testify about his death. Until you actually see him dead. So, remember, the member of the Maguyad Chai, what are we concerned about? Are you concerned that a person who gets stabbed by a sword is going to live? Right? That somebody who has this moral injury is going to live? Or, the Gemara says, I will say in general, a person does not convey to a corpse doesn't convey to him until he's actually dead. So, the Gemara says, Even if someone is stabbed, or even if someone is a goseis, right? In other words, on his deathbed. To which the Imara infers, Tamu ye lo metame, Hamichi lo chaye. I will say, it's only that he doesn't convey tumul. But there's no shiloh that what? No shiloh that what? That he's going to die. And I will say, this is a mortal injury. So what are we concerned about over here? So I will say, so just to play this out, Chasa Shalom, I see Ruben stabbed through the heart with a sword. So I got it. He's not going to convey corpse tumul until he drops dead on the ground. But the say, there's no way he's surviving that. So again. Why can't I testify that he's dead, even if I did not see him dead on the ground? this sanya meidin meidin saluf, You can testify about a guy who was stabbed with a sword or with a spear that he's dead, even if you didn't see him actually die. But you can't go because we assume such a person automatically dies. But you can't testify about a person who was hanged until you actually see him dead. Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar Omer, Af <laughs> al-Hamaguyad. Rabbi Shimon al says, you can even testify about the person who was stabbed. I'm sorry. Af al ain ma'idin, Even about the person who was stabbed, at both sides, you cannot testify about him until you actually see him dead. Why? What's the possibility? The possibility sure. is, someone cauterized the wound. He got stabbed. But maybe the stab wound was immediately cauterized, and maybe he's able to survive. So when it comes to a stab wound, unless you actually see him dead, Halach al-Maisa, can't testify. so now you're telling me, you're telling me, therefore, that the Mishnah set up like g'ib b'shem al And that's why Halach al the Mishnah says, even when a guy looks like he was mortally stabbed, unless you see him dead, you cannot testify. So can we set up the Mishnah this way? But yet, look at the end, look at the end of the Mishnah. Ma, look at the, which, we'll say? this is, this is, on, this is tomorrow's death. There was a, we'll say, listen to this. There was a Mishnah in Asia with a guy who they lowered into the sea. Rosie we'll is incredible. So they lowered Ruvain, an entire body, into the water. And when they pulled him back out, all they pulled out was a foot. All they pulled out was a foot. So i we'll say, now listen to this. So i we'll say, now what's the Shiloh? What's the Shiloh? Is, is Ruben dead or not? Right? Is Ruben dead? We, we know it's definitely missing. Right? But, right? But, right? But, right? But, right? is he dead or not? So i we'll now watch this. V'amruh the V'acham say, it depends. Min hach, v'ulama latino say. i say, if we pull down, not just the foot, but a leg. Right? A leg above the knee. Then I'm we'll say, we assume that's the type of injury from which a person cannot recover. As we saw this before, that if the leg is severed above the knee, we assume that that is a mortal injury, right? just because a person is going to bleed out from that. That's a mortal injury. And therefore, again, we, we allow, we would allow his wife to remarry. But if he pulled out a leg from below the knee, ultimately, again, that would not allow her to remarry. So i we'll say, so one second, I don't understand. But based based on Shimon al-Azhar, halacha la Right? Still, why, why would we allow it to, even above the knee, why would you allow it to remarry? Maybe the wound was healed. Shiny Maya de marzumako. So water is different. Right? They will say, why is water different? Water water agitates the wound. So because water agitates the wound, therefore again, water itself intensifies the injury. And that's why again we could assume that if you're pulling at a leg from above the knee, then Allah said, this guy is dead. So the Hamara says, so Bachana said, I once saw an Arab, an Arab merchant, who took his sword, lopped off the leg of his camel above the knee, and the camel didn't even go ahead and finish its braying, or whatever a camel does braying, neighing, right? Didn't even finish its bray, uh, its neigh, until it dropped dead drop dead. So I will say, see, see from here that a certain traumatic injuries have the ability to cause a person to die. So therefore, I will say, how can you say that a person could potentially survive being stabbed, especially in a vital organ? That was a weak camel. That was a weak camel. That's why it died so quickly. Okay. Rehobo says, that Milubenes so we'll say, this is quite fascinating. Sabaye says, it depends, we well, also listen to this. What's the type of mortal injury that we say that a person potentially could survive from? We'll also listen to this, where a person was stabbed with a burning hot sword. Now we'll say, now what's interesting about this? On one hand, it's the mortal injury, and also what instantaneously? cauterizes So we'll say, so this is the interesting case where you could have a mortal injury but instant quarter quarterization—I don't know if that's the word, quarterization—I would say so. Again, the point of here that the Gemara is making is that's why the Mishnah comes along and says you can't testify that someone is dead just based on the fact that you saw a traumatic injury or that you saw you saw a life-threatening situation occur. Halacha lemaisa: In order to testify, you have to see what you have to that the guy is mamish dead. So the Gemara goes right there. So let's listen to this. I'm said as follows. He said that, When do we say that even if a person was being eaten by an animal, or for that matter, stabbed, that you can't testify about the individual that he's dead unless you see him dead? That's only if the injury wasn't happening in a vital organ. And say, you see a person getting, getting eaten by an animal by his throat. Apologize for the photographic nature, but you see, that, again, it's clearly happening in a way where there, there is no chance of survival. There's no chance of survival. So ultimately, again, So therefore, I'm going to be good, this name Shmuel. If you see the injury happening in a vital organ, in a way that there is no way you could survive, even if you don't see him dead on the ground, you can testify about this individual. Barameh to listen to this. Is that true? Listen to the following case. Shachat b'oshnaim v'rof shnayim u'barach supposed to listen to this case. Let's say you see a guy who had his two simanim, or the majority of his two simonim cut Windpipe and trachea. Right? Windpipe and his trachea caught. They were slit. Yet B'vodr M'shomor, the guy is running away. He's running away, so he's moving. Which I will say is possible, right? Absolutely possible, right? I will say so again. my son. you can testify that he's dead. You can testify that he's dead and allow his wife to remarry. Is that so? I will say. So here's an example. Even though I don't see the guy lying on the ground dead, but one thing I know, which is what I will say, if a person has his windpipe and trachea cut. He's not surviving that. He's going to die. Siva, even though now he's running away, right? Lamai said, I can testify that he's dead. And I can testify that he's dead and allow his wife to remarry. So the Gemara says, Is that true, Inni? Mm-hmm. Bamravi Udamar Shmoel, Shachat Oshnaim, O Rav Shnaim, Viramaz, Vamar Get Leishdi, Hare Elo Yichdi, Vulbi Yitnu. The Bible this It's pretty wild. Let's say a guy has his trachea windpipe slit. The Bible says, He motions to write a get for his wife. Now, why is he motioning to write a get for his wife? He doesn't want his wife to have to do Yibo. So, we'll say, what's the halacha? We can do it. We could write that get and deliver it on his behalf. So, we'll say, what does that show you? What does that show you? That he's alive. To which the Imam says, yes, I understand that. Haihu. He will say, I'm not denying the fact that halacha in this moment now, he's alive. But what do I know? What do I know? He is going to die. That's what I know. He is going to die. Elo. So the Gemara says, <laughs> Elo me'ata gola al-yado. I, if that's the case, then halach al ma'isa again. Halach al ma'isa. I should be sent to Golos. Right? As a result. And so we'll say, so again, so we'll, to, we'll stop. over will for today. We'll pick up with this last case tomorrow. But I will say, again, fasting. So again, what you be, I just want to point out what you do begin to see, what i say is what? What you do begin to see is halach al ma'isa. As much as the Mishnah said unequivocally that in order to testify about someone, you have to see them dead. What we begin to see is certain situations where what? Where Allah Chalamayisah, there is no chance of survival. Seeing a person in that state may in fact be enough to allow you to testify that they are, that they are indeed dead. We'll finish up this last case of Shah Bosh tomorrow. Bosai shkoyah.